Touch them all, Joe. <laughs> Andy Crosby, the golden goal. Typically on the Backstage Project podcast, we go deep with one guest. We've done small panel segments. We recently had identical twin brothers on, which was a hoot. Today we have our first married couple. You know, each of our guests has made a name for themselves and shown a willingness to evolve their trade and push new boundaries. With that, Kate McKenna and Donovan Bennett, welcome to the Backstage Project podcast. Thank you for having us. We hope we don't disappoint as your first married couple. Well, I, I, I was going to say, I hope we're still married by the end of the podcast. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Thank you. It's an honor. No, thanks very much for your willingness to do this. So I know we don't have a ton of time today. You're both working from home and I believe your son is napping. So I'm not going to start off by asking you a lot of things about yourselves that I think are very well documented already on other podcasts or on social media. So today, you know, I'd like to keep it all about family if we can. So to set the table, just to get this out of the way, you know, where and how did the two of you find each other and who chased who? <laughs> he chased me, but I will let him delve into the details of how we met. Um, because admittedly, I am the person who can never remember what year it was, what month it was. All I remember is that he chased me and I at first was wildly uninterested. So I'm glad I changed my mind. It, it ended up working out for the best, but you can you can tell the origin story. <laughs> I mean, so I didn't chase her, to be clear. Um, it, it's, it, so we, we first met I was working for the OUA at the time, um, and every year they did a, a press tour uh, for the Yates Cup, where in the home city, you know, I would go around and you know talk on different outlets about the game and get people excited and whatnot. And correction, he was working for the score at the time, well, right? I, I mean, I didn't say I wasn't working for the score, so that's not a correction, <laughs> okay. that's an addition. And I was working for the Score Television Network at the time. Okay. Woohoo, um, score! Yes, that's right. And so, um, and so the last year that um, I did it, um, Kate was actually uh, working for the OUA in an internship and the game was in Queens and they're like, you know, you know, you, she's a Queens alum, you know, the lay of the land and whatnot. Why don't you go help out? Um, and, and yeah. And so the tour was just like, quite frankly, a bit of a mess. Like it was a bit of a disaster. <laughs> and, um, I guess we just like the two young people on it. We just kind of commiserated with each other and and whatnot. And then um, so that was the fall of '09, I believe, or, or 2010. But in any event, we we kept in contact. And I actually remember saying to myself, um, like, she's a really cool girl. Low maintenance, really fun. Like, I didn't even know like they made them. Like, I didn't even know that was there was like a prototype of a woman that could be like that cool and chill. Um, and I say, I remember literally thinking to myself, like this, this girl is going to make some guy really happy one day. Like she's going to be a great mom, great partner, not thinking of myself at all. Uh, because the other thing is, cause I'm a little bit uh, older than her. I know you can't tell, but I'm a little bit older than her. Um, is that I, as she was getting into the media industry and, and she wanted to work in production, um, I was like, I don't want to be the guy who's like in the industry and like, you know, a young woman thinks that like, oh, I'll help you. Right. Like the, the whole thing was kind of icky. And in general, I just wanted to keep like business and personal separate. So we kept in contact, um, you know, strictly platonically and talked about the industry and business and her young emerging career. 
Um, and then I, she was a former soccer player and I was a TFC season ticket holder at the time. And so I, I could never go to the games because the games were on Saturdays often and I was covering uh, university sports. The games were on Saturdays. So I, I offered the tickets to her and she was so standoffish. She wouldn't take them. And she thought it was like me trying to go on a date with her. I was like, no, like just take the tickets, like go with whoever you want. Um, and so she did and she had a great time and we kept in contact. And the next week I had Raptors tickets and I, I, I was looking for someone to go with. And for whatever reason, she was interested in going. And I didn't think this was a date. I thought we were just hanging out. Um, she evidently thought it was a date, um, but we ha we had a great time. Uh, Steph Curry, as you know, early in his career had terrible ankle injuries. And so those Raptors were playing the Warriors and he got hurt. And the entire, at the time, uh, Air Canada Center, now Scotiabank Arena, was silent. And you just all of a sudden hear like us laughing and joking. And we, we were oblivious as to what was going on on the court. We were having such a good time, which for me, if I'm watching a sporting event, I'm watching it. So at that point, I knew like she was certainly different. Our connection was different. And then I just like haven't been able to get rid of her ever since. Although she early in our in our courtship, she would like put down a marker and be like, you know, we're never going to date. You do know that. And I'm like, well, interesting. One, I never asked you if we we're going to date Two, like we've kind of worked this out, like as a society, as human beings, like often for whatever reason, like someone often a man will ask, would you like to go on a date? Then you say yes or no. Like you don't have to preemptively, preemptively say we're not going to date. And then like randomly she, she texted me and said like, I think you said like, oh, you're a good boyfriend or something like that. Like that's how we became an item. I was like, well, I, I don't, I don't know that we were, but, and yeah, as I said, I haven't been able to get rid of her uh, ever since. Mark, did that give you a sense of DJ's brevity? He really likes to keep answers tight. No, no, it's okay. Listen, we, I'm <laughs> only trying to, details. I'm trying to respect you as, as parents of, of a young one who might be napping. Plus you have your day jobs and, and I'm happy for you guys to talk, but it, it's all, it's all on you. It's all on you. And <laughs> I, I do like Kate, how forward you were there with, mm -hmm. with, with the texting, with kind of, you know, wrapping around this thing that's going on. This is what it is, pal. And I'm going to be a little bit aggressive here. Yeah. Being forward hasn't been a problem an issue for me uh in many realms but particularly with dj but as i say my mind was changed i softened a little and and uh yeah we got married in 2016 and things have been going all right since that's amazing to hear and and one of the things i want to get out of the way because when i first uh got to know you kate we were both at tsn at the time i just heard of this cfl kate and so this <laughs> cfl kate predated you know, dj and kate is that right CFL Kate did indeed predate, right? Is that right? Well, we were, we were, we were not married. We were dating. Yeah, we were dating. Yeah. There were various iterations. CFL Kate became TSN Kate uh, and then just Kate. Uh, so yes, DJ, there was, I forget the exact timing, but DJ was around sort of from infancy of, of quote, CFL Kate. That was in the background. Yeah. You're in the background. You were, you were running the ball over the line of scrimmage, no doubt. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that. And as... So now you're, you're years later, you're six years later, you have, you have Desmond mm -hmm. and, and you both, I mean, I've been, I've been doing my homework in, in the lead up to chatting today. You both have worked so hard to, to make a name for yourselves in the industry and to break into the industry. And you both seem to be doing really well right now. So by having, a, you know, maybe some parents look at it as a third wheel. I don't think that, that you're those type of parents, but having Desmond in your lives has that changed any bit of what, what you think drives you if you had to think about it? I mean, I would say not third wheel. He's like an anchor. Mm -hmm. Like 
he's uh and, and i say that you know positively um and you know pejoratively like an anchor literally because like everything you do good bad or indifferent you have to think of him first right and so it changes how freely we move how how freely we're able to work quite frankly and it's something that we literally took for granted i i'm not really sure how i ever felt busy or tired before um so so certainly um you know that weight um and and, and that's at a totally different level um for a mother um, and, a, and a mother of a young child specifically where uh the child needs you uh emotionally and and physically um it's an anchor in that sense which kind of weighs you down and and maybe level sets you know what you can accomplish at a given time or in a given day um but it's also an anchor uh because he just grounds you like things that you think are important quickly become not and and certainly the things that maybe are of grave importance gives you a different perspective on and, and there are many things now uh when i look at them and evaluate them i don't really look at them through my own eyes or my own lens i look at the world through his eyes or, or what um he may see when he goes up so um he's definitely made me a little bit more patient a little bit more calm and a lot more empathetic for sure i think for me you know i used to be someone who dabbled in many different things i did sports and lifestyle i did producing and on air and i think having a young child has really forced me to reevaluate how i spend my energy and dj likes to use the phrase sweat equity sort of like where i'm willing to put in that sweat equity because i just don't have the ability anymore as much as i would love to to lean in in every single professional way possible so you know for better and for worse i've had to pare down a little bit on what i can do and so for me that has meant pulling back a little bit from on air stuff pulling back a little bit from sports stuff and focusing specifically on lifestyle production for now um and i don't necessarily think or know that will be a forever thing but the forced prioritizing has actually been um sort of a a, a welcome unexpected change since having him because if if I didn't have him knowing my personality and my my work ethic I think I would have just continued to lean in as hard as I possibly could in every area and that would have eventually led to burnout so you know certainly the work life balance is hard but if I look at the silver lining it's that I have been forced to prioritize um and really lean into what feels right for me right now now given where you guys are at in your careers having that kind of mindset is is fantastic to hear I think I think that people struggle in general. I mean, listen, I've been in the business a few years longer than you, different sides of it. And I haven't had to live and die by the news cycle and, and the way you, you do DJ most of the time in the sports world. But being able to say, you know, I, I'm living for a greater purpose. I get it. I'm really good at this and people want to hear my voice or, or see the stories that I'm creating to, to deliver to the world. But like, I got a family, I have a son. And that's that, I, that is every much as important, if not more important than you know, the millions of people that are counting on you to enrich their lives. And I, I agree. And I'd also say that particularly from a uh, mothering perspective and sort of communal motherhood uh, sense, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing with, with dads and parenting, but it's, it's interesting from a, even a content perspective on social media. Now, it used to be whenever I shared uh, content related to DJ and I, I would get you know a few extra likes. I think, I think people are interested in, in couples and family and behind the scenes content. But now when I post any content about Des, 
or the challenges of motherhood. I've tried to be really honest about the highs and the lows because I think so often the messaging around motherhood is either it's bliss and butterflies and rainbows and this love like you've never experienced or it's really terrible and dark and hard. And so what I try to make an effort to do is showcase that in between because I think a lot of the truth for many people live in that in between. There are some days where it is the best love you ever experienced. And there are some days where it's pretty awful and you're trying to remember who you were before this human. So, so I think from a content perspective, what I've found is there is such a, a desire for women, especially to engage in honest conversation about motherhood and about work-life balance and about the toll it takes on your relationships, um, uh, you know, to a great degree. So, so that's been sort of surprising to me as far as the honesty and honest conversation around parenthood. Yeah. So just to follow up on, on that and, and, and I'm not being rude and checking my phone. I'm just actually doing it as a reference to, to what you said, you know, so I preemptively did, you know, the, the top nine on Instagram, just taking a look to see, you know, I, I still got like two weeks. So I might be able to sneak something in there, but like preemptively, what were the, the posts that had the most engagement? Um, and six of my top nine were photos of me and my son. Right. And so, and it's, it's probably six for six. Like I probably posted six photos of me and my son in the last 12 months and they all are in the top nine. I, uh, I, I also did some creeping and I, I took a look at Kate's top nine, nine of nine are with Kate and, and Des. So, so to 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 put it out there like literally like that's really what we're putting out in the world because that's what's important to us but it's also like what we're getting back from the world of, of what they are are interested in seeing and, and you, you talk about stages of of you know life and careers and what matters and i i something i certainly didn't appreciate until going through this process um is you know obviously having a kid for many reasons is is transformational, especially if you're a busy working person. But what I noticed was when, when Des came into the world and he came in a month early is, you know, in many ways, Kate had to grieve her previous life. Like her life was never going to be the same. Her career, quite frankly, was never going to be the same to the point where like you're on mat leave for a year. So like right away, your career has been abrupt. I, I didn't like get Des came in the middle of the NBA playoffs. I was covering Raptors Sixers, like in the height of it, um, on just like adrenaline and little sleep. And so as things have happened, I've had to grieve the fact that I have to make a choice. Do I want to take on this other task? Do I want to take on this new opportunity? What's the cost benefit analysis? Because before it was just about interest and money. Now it's about well, how much currency am I losing in terms of time with my family? So, so I've had to grieve a new factor in the in the you know uh, evaluation process when I look at new opportunities and work that I want to do. Um, that's like a small price to pay, really. Like she's had to grieve literally her her previous career and figure out what that new career looks like. And so um, there's a reason why only six of my top nine are with my son and nine of nine are hers because um, it's transformational for both of us, but in much greater ways it is for the female. Yeah, listen, that's uh, that's that relationship that initially in those early early days, mother has to have with with, with the child. I, I've been through it three times here, and you know my experience, DJ, is is, is similar to yours, where you know I, I kind of lived my life. By the time we had our our, our third uh, our third child, uh, I was I was at I was working on the Olympics, 
and I was gone. I mean, I did. I didn't have the benefit of you know being able to go down to Air Canada Center and cover that. I and and that was exhilarating. And you know, as as a couple, you at, at points in time, and we're going to get to this actually as part of our chat today. Those kind of career decisions that you make make together, but they're they're super hard. And you always have to focus on the priorities and and what you were kind of talking about, which was you know different for for me than it was for either of you, where you know, as a kind of ex executive in the sports business, that kind of fear of missing out where, you know, you're not going to the box for the Leaf game or the Raptors game or the Blue Jays or Argos game. And what does that mean? Am I not going to get the chance to see the president of this company or my boss's boss? That's a lot of the psychology behind it. And for that matter, for both of you, that might have played out for you too, because as, you know, popular charismatic talent, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, I'm sure that people all the time say, hey, can you come in the box? Can you come here? We want you to meet the client. We want to close a big deal. Is that, is that part of how much of the fear of missing out of that is there for you or it's not even something you consider anymore? I mean, there's definitely FOMO for sure. Um, and, you know, often it'll be the other one of the two of us who pushes and is like, no, you should do this. This makes sense. I'll like man the ship at home. I'll deal with the tantrum or the middle of the night feeding or whatever the case uh, is at the time. Um, but it's often like, you know, there's, there's guilt on both sides and it's, it's helpful when the other person alleviates the guilt and gives you, I don't want to say the permission. Um, this is not like handmaid's tale or anything like that, but it gives you like the mental permission to go and actually be there and be engaged um, and be present. Cause you're not worried about um, you know, what you're missing at home or, or helping out at home. So yeah, it, that I, I would say that's 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 real for sure. What about you? Well, it's been interesting because in some ways we, I haven't had to navigate this yet because I went from mat leave into a work from home pandemic. So whereas before we were both being invited to events or sports games or you know places to be seen so you could take a picture for your Instagram account, that really hasn't come up yet. So I already sort of preemptively think how will we handle those situations? Both of us, you know, commuting from the city back home, Des in daycare one day. So it's, it's, uh, it's a great question. And I think if we were in it, I would have sort of a more concrete answer, but I haven't felt like I've been in it yet because I really have been either at home or working from home since April of 2019. Yeah, and let, let's, let's call it what it is. Like you, you guys seem like you're very well prepared to deal with it when it comes back. So I have, I have no doubt that you're going to continue to support each other as it sounds like you already have. So Donovan over, over the summer, as if anyone in Canada who pays attention to the sports business knows that you, you became a leading voice for black lives matter. I, I saw multiple times, both when it came out and I just watched it again before we chatted today, the essay that you wrote to, to Desmond. So looking at that experience in your home, how did the two of you balance like the demands of life and and what I'm just calling like doing what was necessary in, in that moment? Yeah, because I mean, I, it's funny, like, I, you know, that certainly um, takes toll. Uh, it's not uh, it's, it's not a topic that you're excited to wake up in the morning and talk about and cover um, or that really excited that it exists. And so certainly, you know, to a certain extent, it, it takes a toll on me, but um, I would say it takes a toll on the family in the sense that um, I've said to people, I felt like I was on a book tour for a book I didn't write. And, you know, uh, podcasting queries and uh, showing queries and, uh, you know, 
uh, speaking engagements and being asked to be on the board of, of different um, organizations or, or groups or, or just people asking how they should navigate certain situations. People, you know, just reaching out um, and telling me how they feel about certain uh, situations. And, you, and that's not including the actual work that I had to do, right? That I'm, I'm paid. You're paid to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, plus, obviously, you know, my trying to pull my fair share at home. And you're trying to be thoughtful and intentional um, about all those things. And so, you know, at, at first I was a little, um, I was a little confused and jaded as to, well, why all the interest now? Like Ahmaud Arbery died in tragic fashion like two weeks ago. You know, Breonna Taylor, there was no video, but like, that's a shame. Um, you know, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, etc., etc., etc. And in this country, that we have um, many names, and plus, on top of that, we have missing and murdered Indigenous women for decades. So why are we like putting out PR statements now and filling up my inbox? Um, it, it, but then, you know, as I started to lean in and, and really do um, do a lot of work around it, um, I was like, okay, well, you know. This will be a week, two weeks tops. Then the, we'll lily pad to another issue. The the news cycle will change and it'll be back to regularly scheduled programming. And it it didn't stop. It kept coming. And so really, um, you know, between Kate and and our my in-laws and her family and my family, you know, they had to really be a great support system to make sure that um, I had the ability, energy um, to, to take in all that that interest um and, and that we could still have a functioning you know household um and just as it started to to die down and go back to normal uh you know jacob blake happens and i i, I said to kate it's like you know it's like groundhog's day where it's it, everything is coming again that tsunami is happening in the same way um so it it, it took a uh listen i I am blessed with the ability to to talk about these things and the autonomy given my employer to talk about these things um, and their important subjects that we should talk about. So like, this is not a woe is me conversation, but it did take a toll certainly um, because I never want to be painted as uh, the token reporter that I'm only gonna talk about race. Um, but, but I think what is unseen uh, is that it, it takes a toll on the family as well, having to watch me uh, answer all of the requests and then having to pick up the pieces behind me because I, I didn't have time to do much um, of anything else uh, for that period. I think professionally as a, as a producer and as someone who also works in media, it was interesting to watch from the sidelines because DJ has been talking about these things in his work for years. So it's not like this was the first time he was writing about these things or talking about these things. It was just the first time people on mass cared. So it was interesting. And, you know, I think he used the word jaded. It was interesting to watch all these requests come in because it's like people care now, you know, they only care. He's been doing this. So certainly professionally, it was just interesting to watch, watch that happen. And, and um, interesting to hear sort of secondhand about the conversations he was having with, with his colleagues, his black colleagues in the industry who were, I think, feeling many of these same feelings because not just DJ, but many other people have, have stepped up during this time, black reporters, black on air talent to give voice 
to the issues that we need to know about. And I say we as, as a white person. And then personally, it forced me to think about our relationship and raising a biracial son, a black son. And it forced us to have conversations that I don't know that we were necessarily having before to the degree to which they needed to be had, you know, about privilege, about opportunity. And that for me was necessary. And those conversations continue. And some of those conversations were difficult and required a lot of vulnerability and, you know, a, a dismantling of ego and of defensiveness. And so, you know, while those conversations were happening publicly and at our places of employment, they were also happening in our home and they continue to. And it does sometimes feel sticky and sensitive and awkward and challenging, but there's no choice but to have them, you know, for the, for the good of being a, a global public informed citizen, but also for the good of maintaining a healthy marriage. Well, like everything else we've talked about here today, just so far in our short chat, you, you guys seem incredibly aligned on how you view the world and how you view your relationship and your family. When, when the shoe is kind of on the other foot where you're typically, you're storytellers, you're telling other people's stories and now you are the story. How hard was it to, to determine like how far you want to bring your, your personal kind of lives into that story versus telling the story? It's a good question. I mean, even <clears throat> to be honest, doing this podcast, like we are normally asking the questions, right? We are normally thinking of uh, the story arc and the narrative and, you know, the, the order of said questions, right? Like, so, um, you know, I'm sure Kate is like evaluating in her head um, right now. And so I'm looking for a job anyway, if anyone's listening, no, I'm kidding. I'm very busy. I'm very busy. <laughs> um, so yeah, there is um, certainly a level of discomfort because, you know, that's journalistically that oath is always, you know, you're not supposed to be the story, right? The story is not supposed to be um, about you. But I mean, this is a subject, quite frankly, that I'm not impartial about. Like, I feel very strongly about it. Um, and, you know, I, I just felt the best way many times I could communicate um, was hopefully um, shining a light on on my perspective. And um, that would uh, evoke some some empathy. I mean, Masai Ujiri has the, the clothing line um, and, and, and the foundation, which he started on top of, you know, Giants of Africa that have just come out and it's called Humanity. And ultimately, if, if we, we scale back exactly what we're talking about, it's about humanity, like being able to see yourself in someone else, being able to connect with someone else and not seeing people as other or as a threat or as less than. And so if I could use my own experiences um, to humanize this issue, I felt like that as a storyteller would be the best way I could communicate because I found on, on this topic, many others sadly right now, but on this topic, people were talking at each other often and they weren't really talking with each other. And, and so I know my, my story is not uh, more profound or more sad than others. In fact, sadly, my story is not unique. And if I did, you know, give you a little bit of my um, personal journey on the topic, you know, it, it would hopefully show that like, it's not just me, this is the experience of a lot of other people. And you may not because of privilege or preference may not have realized or noticed it, but, but that is um, the case. And at the very least, other people who didn't have the platform that I have 
um, could say, well, I, I, I'm, I now feel a little bit seen. Like you've given voice to something that I too feel. So um, that was the hope. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how successful it was, but it was, it was the most effective way that, um, you know, my dumbass could figure out how to articulate <laughs> a very uh, serious I, subject. I, all right. I, I, you're being kind of humble in your, in your description of it. Listen, I uh, obviously run a podcast, so I'm going to only uh, build you guys up. But I mean, I think you did a phenomenal job. I, I think it needed to be done. I mean, the fact that you did it is it, it, it's the right voice. If you have the right platform, I think that the country needs, regardless of race or topic, like the country needs people, personalities to listen to, to admire, you know, to argue with and disagree with as well. It's not just about being right. And, and generally, and I think this is a Canadian thing more than what we've seen in other parts of the world, certainly the US or, or the UK, like we need people who are not just sticking to the party line. We need people who cause Canadians to say, wait a second, what do I stand for? How far am I willing to go? And um, no, as a family, on behalf of the rest of the country, you know, thanks for deciding that you needed to have a voice because I think we're all, we're all better for it. But, so I'm going to go, I'm going to move on to kind of the future for you guys. And I, I, I don't hear any kind of cries or knocks at the door in case Desi uh, jumped out of his crib, which I hope he's not that big yet, but I want to talk about the future. And, you know, I'm familiar and we talked a little about it today, you know, your, your backstories, you know, I know DJ star athlete at the collegiate level and Kate, I'm certain we had we, we we missed each other by a couple months, but uh, we both have a deep passion for Thai cats and and Oski Wee Wee. But you're both clearly on your way in your careers and thinking bigger. Um, you know, I would say you're both still just getting started, and and so when opportunities come for a bigger stage, and quite frankly, those might have already arrived. How do you plan on deciding how far you're willing to go? The sacrifices that one or the other willing to make so that um, one or the other, or you collectively or as a family are able to realize your career aspirations? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one certainly um, that I feel like we're facing more and more readily. I, I for a while now, um, have, have just chosen in our industry not to really be um, destination oriented but really kind of be passion oriented if that makes sense so to give you a bit of a backstory i came into this industry saying i know exactly what i want to do i want to be an anchor i'm going to do the highlights and be fun like you know canadians to scott let's go right this is what i wanted to do and and that didn't happen for me especially early in my career when, when i when i wanted to go that route um and it's the best thing that didn't happen for me because quite frankly I later realized that one, I wouldn't have been very good. Um, and two, I probably would have been miserable. Like that, that level of lifestyle and, and kudos to the talented men and women who do it in our country um, at night, late at night, watching games, going through scripts, trusting other people to have the right scripts. It's a beast. It is a beast. And, and, I, and I, my sensibilities wouldn't have made me very good at it. And so, um, you know, my career has gone in different directions. I never thought um, I'd be writing, but, but many people come to me and, and they, they see writing as like the chief thing that I do. And technically in many ways it is, um, even though I'm not a classically trained writer. And, and so I've just gone after 
opportunities and and many have, have come to me and I, I said okay well who will I be working with are, are they people that are going to push me and make me better um, am I passionate about, about what we're going to be working on I um, mean is there an audience that that is interested in and, and specifically for me a unique audience that doesn't maybe get thought of that is probably underserved um, and overlooked uh, and can I help you know give voice to the type of content that they want to see, hear, or read, depending on the platform. And so what's what's happened is I've kind of become the Swiss Army knife where I, I do stuff across the business. But it's really just because I've been gravitated towards situations where, you know, there might be a little bit of growth, some learning opportunities, but more importantly, aligned with people who are talented, uh, passionate, and doing things for the right reason. So I, I don't, people always ask me, what's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? You know, what's the end goal? And I, I'm not lying when I say I don't have one. Um, there's been many opportunities that have come across my desk that just didn't really feel right. Um, and there's been many that I never even thought I would fathom. Um, that I, After some introspection, I was like, yeah, that would be cool. So I just know I, I want to tell stories that are meaningful on bigger and better platforms. And I want to do it better in 21 than I did it in 20 and so on and so forth. And if, if I can continue to say that I'm doing that, uh, then I can continue to say that I'm, you know, gainfully employed doing it and it's it's not making me crazy and a terrible dad and a terrible husband, then th that'll be a success for me. Always grounded, right? Always grounded. I'm And that fear of missing out part of it, did you, I don't know if you're friends with like Jay and Dan, but I mean, they're, they're classic trip to LA and back and, um, but, but Cabby, I, I know, cause I've read up about it, you know, and I know, I'm good friends with my man D for a lifetime at uh, Dave Kirks, for those of you who don't remember episode number two of the backstage project podcast. So do you speak with Cabby at all about his experience, the move that he's made down to the States? Yeah. I talk to Cab all the time, actually. Um, and I'm uh, proud of him because it was certainly not without risk. Like he was a made man in Canada and he was just interested in doing something different. You know, for me, uh, you mentioned I was a university athlete uh, and, you know, I, I played out Western Canada, but I started in the United States, started um, at a small liberal arts college, a D1 AA school in Buffalo called Canisius College. Um, and then I eventually transferred, you know, back to Canada. But coming out of high school as a football player, you know, there was like levels of, of success. Like, oh, are you a city all-star? Are you a national team player are you do you have a scholarship or are you being recruited do you have a d1 scholarship uh power five d1 and so there was always this keeping up with the joneses to to validate my success i felt like i had to go down south and what i realized is no we've got great things here in canada so in terms of you know you know exploring things outside of this country like it, there's some level of intrigue but I, I think you know that experience that i had in a totally different realm of life of not always saying like there has to be more elsewhere, but making things amazing exactly where you are and kind of being, you know, loyal to the, to your soil, if you will. Um, it's kind of how I look at, um, at, at broadcasting. And so um, you never say never, right? I don't want, you know, to make myself a liar or anything, but um, yeah, the, my, my focus has really been like, how can I make um, a real imprint here in Canada? And it hasn't really been um, you know, going down south. But I will say, though, and this is something that I found interesting, is that uh, generally minorities and, and, and to the same extent women in sports in Canada are a minority, right? There are much more men and there are much more 
uh, white men. But when you look at the number of people who go down south, who, who seek more opportunity, it's a high percentage of minorities and women, right? Hazel May is both, David Amber, uh, Cabby, uh, Jay and, well, Jay and Dan are, are white men, so they don't, uh, they don't count. Uh, Adnan Virk, uh, Nabil, um, you know, Jackie Redmond, um, on and on and on. So many talented women and talented minorities have to go down south to get like, you know, their, their fair shake. And then once they've made it down south, it's like, oh, come back to Canada. We, we really love you. We love you more after you've gone than, than when we had you here. Um, so, so I've, I found that somewhat fascinating, but for me personally, um, you know, you, you can't get rid of me that quick. I, I expect to be in Canada for a while. <laughs> All right. We're, we're, we're going to keep you with, and, and let, let's face, it, I mean, the, the, the sports industry in Canada, and I don't expect we have a broad audience for this podcast outside of Canada, but the sports industry, uh, is fairly incestuous. It is fairly small, uh, especially when you compare it to the U S or overseas, now, Kate, switching gears onto your career and where you've already described, it's gone, which is more about the social and what you're doing there. The kind of content that, that you're creating, that has, I mean, outside of the Canadian stories you might be telling because of the network that it's on, you know, the types of content you're creating, that has global appeal. And and the appeal is is changing quickly where we know about the kind of content DJ's creating or the highlights that are distributed or the kind of companion shoulder programming, even in bite-sized chunks that's out there in the sports world. We know lots and lots about that. And that's generally still to serve a local audience. But with your the content that the social creates or that you're capable of creating, I mean, that's, that's a worldwide audience. That's influencers, that's TikTok, you know, that's YouTube. And, and I know that those are strategies that are part of the, the social's production philosophy, but how do you, how do you skew on where you can apply your skills and and is the audience enough for you in Canada? It's interesting. I very much feel like I am at a crossroads right now in my career. And the analogy that I that I use, the symbol in my head, uh, comes from a book that I love and highly recommend, not just to women but to men, called Unfinished Business by Anne Marie Slaughter. And I actually produced her on the social a few years back. And was just so struck by many of the things she had to say and this analogy she used and if you've read it and I'm butchering it I'm sorry but this is this is the story I have in my head this is my memory of it is that you're sort of you're on an elliptical machine and you're going and you're going and you're climbing and you're climbing and at some points in your life you just have to step aside for a minute and keep treading water you just have to keep chugging your feet and you're not necessarily continuing to climb but you're just passing the time until you have the ability and the energy to jump back on and keep climbing and for me, I very much feel like because of the birth of my son, because of the pandemic, because of how my interests and my energies are just changing because of what my gut is telling me, I am in this sort of holding pattern, which can be difficult for someone who is motivated and who is type A and who sees other people sort of, um, you know, attaining and achieving these very, these very, uh, you know, public positions and accolades. You know, I am a competitor. And so there is part of me that's thinking like, what am I doing here? But I, I am comforted by that analogy and the idea that when I can, when my childcare responsibilities are, you know, lessened a little bit, I can jump back into the mix. And I don't even just mean publicly on air. I don't know if I will do on air again. Uh, I don't know. But even from a production perspective, what can I do next? What can I create next? I just feel like my brain is so full with parenting and childcare and trying to cope with a pandemic and trying to recognize my privilege and how I may be able to, you know, 
uplift people who haven't had the same privilege I have had in this industry and elsewhere, that right now I'm not even really thinking too much about where I'm going next, which is a first for me and not necessarily the most comfortable feeling. But I know that at the end of the day, I like to tell stories. I like content. Um, and I'm trying to figure out where I might go next. The good news is for me, you know, DJ has a very, even though he's open to many things, he knows that he wants to be in the sports world. He likes to be here. He likes to tell stories. For me, I have a range of interests. I love coaching. I love teaching. I love speaking. I love writing. And so the flip side to not knowing is that the opportunities do kind of feel endless. And it's just a matter of being strategic and taking calculated risks and, and figuring out where to go next. But to DJ's point, you know, I often tell students, it's okay to have a goal and good on you if you do. But if you don't know what your dream job is, that's okay. And that took me a while to realize because I so badly wanted to have a goal because I admire people who have a goal and go and get it. To me, that's just, it's so incredible to see that. And I never had one. But if I had had a goal that I was hyper-focused on, I may have missed the opportunities the doors that open on the side that I didn't even realize existed. When I was at TSN, I had no idea I would join a lifestyle show. I felt like what I was maybe gonna try to do was highlights at some point, but then a lifestyle opportunity happened, producing happened, and I had no idea how much I would fall in love with that. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize the sexiness in producing. Being on air seems sexy, getting your hair and makeup done, it's fun. You know, I've posted all over Instagram about it back when I was, when I was in that world, but producing, gives you so much control of the content. And as I've sort of worked my way through the different producing channels into a role where I now, you know, get an opportunity to help younger producers, help them craft their content. I've realized the, the sort of sexiness for lack of a better word in that, in that sort of ability to shape content at a bigger level than, than talent sometimes can. The, the control is, is a huge part of it. And, and, and I get it and I'm not, uh, I'm a control freak myself, by the way. But, but I'm not trying to control the two of you on this podcast. <laughs> when, when you were talking there about your story, and thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I did some research on, you know, your family and, and your mom is is quite a trailblazer herself. And, and she absolutely would have gone through something like what you're going through right now. How does her experience play out in coaching you now or, or shaping your opinions? So whatever regrets or mistakes your mom felt that she might have made like when you were young is causing you not to make those same mistakes it's a great question she one of the things that she's been you know really instructive with uh in terms of sort of coaching me and, and to her credit she doesn't try to she doesn't try to push her opinions on me or her experience on me but one of the things that really stuck out was um you know her advice around not feeling like you have to do it all and feeling that it's okay to lean into your family. You're still accomplished. You're still driven. Uh, you don't have to try to do everything at the same time. And, and that's okay. And I think sometimes women can feel, and maybe I shouldn't speak for all women. I think I can sometimes feel like I'm failing by opting out of certain opportunities. So to have her reassurance that that is okay, that, that, you know, it doesn't make you any less of a professional, that it can in fact benefit you in the long run, I think is, you know, it's, it's helpful, it's reassuring. And uh, it's, it's also a reminder that the years when you have young kids, 
It's the whole days and long years are short thing. The time flies and there will be a point where Desi doesn't need me and need us as much. And that will be a chance for me to lean more into my career opportunities. So I think that sort of, you know, the idea that you can still be an ambitious career woman and sort of step back a little bit to, to, to raise a family, that, that's been helpful for me for sure. And just to speak from my own experience where our kids are a little older in our house and my wife absolutely put some of that stuff on hold and uh, it was a team effort. It continues to be a team effort because just because they don't nap anymore and they might go off to school, it doesn't mean they mm -hmm. don't need you any less. It's different. Mm -hmm. You both have been so generous with your time today. So I'm not going to ask you all the standard questions that I typically ask on the podcast. I'm only going to ask you one. And and that's really speaking to people who, who are listening, who are looking to get in to the the fields that you both are in and, and what kind of advice you would you would impart to them you want to go first go for it um i would say uh attack the hurdles is you know the one thing that i would say embrace the grind right like so there will be certainly difficulties there'll be challenges this industry is far from perfect certainly this uh industry is always and will always be competitive there's a reason why a lot of people want these jobs there's a reason why they don't pay very well to start it's because it's supply and demand a lot of people want them um and so you're really gonna have to grind and, and be in it um because you're passionate about it and really hone in on your craft and when you do come up against some hurdles or some challenges because they're inevitable um just really go at them and attack them and, and figure out a way to make you know, your mess, your message and, and use that as, um, you know, a, an opportunity to build up that, that sweat equity. Cause once you come through it, um, you'll be a little bit hardened and, and won't, you know, settle for anything less than success, but also use it as a reminder that, like, oh yeah, that's right. No one said this was going to be easy. In fact, like I learned on the backstage podcast that it was going to be difficult. And the difference between you and all of the other people who love to work in sports or love to work in media or love to work in television or technology um, is that you're willing to go through the, the hardness. I mean, if, if it was easy, um, then, you know, more, even more people would, would want to get into it. Um, so really attack those hurdles. And the other thing I would say um, is like figure out what makes you special, right? Cause it is competitive and you need a reason to stand out figure out what makes you unique, a one of one, right? We're all snowflakes. We're all a little bit different. And when whatever makes you different, right, um, can be used to your advantage. Maybe you are um, a savant on legal issues. So then figure out a way to work that into um, whatever your role or your job is. Maybe you're great with numbers. Um, then, then figure out a way to work that. And maybe you um, uh, are from a, a racialized group or an equity seeking group. And, and you can use that as a, a window into specific type of coverage or um, a window to, to connect with people that, that you're covering or, or broaden the, the perspective of, of your business, of the industry as a whole, right? Figure out what it is that maybe the world might see um, not as a strength, but, but you can kind of work on it um, and make it become a strength and use that as kind of your su superpower. Um, th th that would be the main advice that, that I would give. What about you? I'm smiling because he he basically stole mine uh, with that last answer. Mine, mine uh, you know, the advice that I often give is, is um, lean into your difference and also don't only look to go the traditional route. Now more than ever, if you wanna be a content creator, use YouTube. 
use your phone. There's a million ways to do it that don't uh, only involve applying to the traditional shops, the CBCs, the CTVs, the globals, what have you. There are many, many ways to be a content creator if that's what you want to do. So certainly, and, and you know, even with um, even with brands, I often, I, when I'm talking to people, it's like, do you want to be a journalist? That's one thing. Then then you should you should look to do journalism and there are there are companies that excel in that but if you want to be a content creator and on camera red bull does some great content so think outside the box as far as who you can pitch to and how you can pitch yourself and along those same lines most of the jobs not all but most of the jobs i've had and I've had quite a few. I've lived on a train uh, going across Canada with the Grey Cup. I was a professional vacationer for a year. Most of the jobs that I've had actually were not posted the traditional way. So I think if you are relying on finding a job through the big job sites, it may not be the best strategy. Sure, go that route, but also actively pitch yourself because you may have a skill set that a company didn't know they needed until they read about you. So certainly that would be one suggestion. And the other is don't let no be a dead end. Don't let a failure be a roadblock. We have all had, I know, you know, I speak from experience, failed auditions. We've all had failed interviews. We didn't get the job. It didn't go well. I remember early in our career, I said to DJ, I will not work in TV because that audition had gone so badly. I was in tears. It was terrible. And I swore to myself, I would never work in TV again because I was so embarrassed by how badly it had gone. But thankfully, you know, it, it was, and, and, and he, you know, he instilled the confidence in me, you know, you're fine, you can do this, you know, be a big girl here, let's go dust yourself off. And, and I'm, I'm glad I did. So don't let no, uh, don't let no stop you, just figure out the workaround. Thank you both for the time today. I mean, I know you're kind of mid early career, so it's, it's amazing to hear from people who are living and breathing it every day. We've had the pleasure of having lots of people who are much older than us, even older than me, in their <laughs> career come on the podcast. So telling your story while it's still yet to be told partially is amazing. And I'll let you get back to your lives. Thank you so much for having us. This was awesome. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks. This was fun. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.